0: Okay, guys, show us what you got.
1: The two of us together? Forget it. You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught
2: it. This is bullshit. I'm not listening to this. You are insane. No, you're insane.
0: Remember, this is not a competition, although you two seem to be the best in the class.
2: This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. It's the stories that you tell.
1: So much fun and imagination. You're looking at your claws and you're looking at your fangs. You're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know how to kill the bunny. With this, you don't know how to kill the bunny. Do
0: you know what I mean? What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought.
2: And remember, no one has the right to touch you in your bathing suit
0: area. (laughs) What? Are we fucking ready? Roll cameras! Action!
2: Hey, everybody, this is Scott Anderson from Warrior Academy, and this is the Warrior Academy podcast. I'm joined as always by my good buddy, Jeff Suskin. What's happening, Sus? I'm great. El Jefe. We're also uh, joined at the third chair by our good friend, Ross Cohen. Hello, hello. What's up, Ice Cream Man?
0: It's all good. Another uh, warm day here in February in Colorado. Today
2: is, as we record this, it is February 13th of 2015. It's Friday the 13th. Do you know what that means?
1: Tomorrow's Valentine's Day.
2: Wrong. Pull out my hockey mask. Wrong. But good guesses, guys. Today, uh Fifty Shades of Grey opened.
1: I am so excited. I, I got to f- tell you, I, I love – I can't call it a romantic comedy, <laughs> but all this shit. Like Notebook, P.S. I Love I, You. I'll go watch not, all that crap.
2: I only know it by reputation. I haven't read it, haven't seen it, but I think I promise a you, com is probably –
1: like you're not romantic comedy but, but these like romance flicks uh-huh. I bet I can figure it out I've never even watched like read the book read any synopsis but it's probably the same formula like it looks like rich um uh, uber sexy guy all of a sudden falls for like the the naif. yeah and then she rejects him then they break up and then they
0: find each other or that's maybe pretty it's much more it. like the secretary or something like that yeah, that was a
2: pretty good flick. Yeah, that was a good I flick. gotta say. But um and this is, that, is
0: one ju- I should just say this is, is that probably an adult film? Something that you should probably bring <laughs> no. a date to this movie. Don't go solo. No, Let I was 50. just about I was just
2: about to ask uh You're Jeff like, going to see Gen- 50 Jeff, today. you wanna go see the Fifty Shades of Grey
0: with me? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> at the at the Alamo
2: and wear a couple of flamboyant shirts and just, just see if we can confuse people. You
0: guys let me, let me know how that goes for you.
2: you. You wouldn't go see it with me?
0: No. Really? No. What about a group of us? Go get a bunch of guys. <laughs> I
1: just can't it, Would see you feel more, more comfortable
2: minute. if there was a, a seat between us, an empty seat, that sort of hetero seat buffer? I wouldn't know. alone you see this either. Buffer. I don't know. I when, mean, you see your, when you see a movie with your buddy, you got to he- have the hetero uh, buffer.
0: Maybe we could meet a whole group of anti-Valentines there.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: I'm excited about this.
2: All right, so here's a, here's a quote for you guys. Are you ready? Uh, this is my Valentine's quote, and it's and it's very uh, Fifty Shades of Grey appropriate. I urge you all today, especially today in these times of terrorism and chaos, to love yourself without reservation, and to love each other without restraint. Unless you're into leather, then by all means use restraint. <laughs>
1: is that Jordan Gray, Margaret Cho? Oh, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very appropriate, I think, that we're recording this uh, on the eve of Valentine's Day because we're sort of revisiting a subject. I don't want to say addicted to love, but I think it was Ross who recommended this book to Jeff. Jeff recommended it to me. We've all... I I can't say read it because I don't think that there's actually a book form of this, but it's an audio book by a really amazing guy by the name of Stan Tatkin. And I got to say, like, first of all, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, and I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with me. I don't think I've read or heard any information on... The how to of a better
0: relationship or love and how to navigate it than this game changer, game changer, holy I gotta grail, gotta agree. And what's funny is Jeff and I were just talking a couple minutes ago about how we're already incorporating this into our conversations with everybody that we run into. Yeah, anyone we could talk to about it. You just want to, you know, share what you're learning from this.
2: And you were also sharing off air that you're sort of trying some things out. In this, I would, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You Maybe not new relationship, but you're seeing someone, and some of these ideas that Stan has uh, injected into your
0: brain seem to be working. They do, they do. It's really funny how, it, it, you know. It's almost an overnight change. I can literally take some of these concepts. I understand myself a whole lot better straight away, and we'll get into you know a little exactly, bit more of that. Yeah. But being able to understand myself and then understanding what other pe- what other perspectives people are coming from is just groundbreaking.
2: El Hefe, what about you?
0: The thing I took away from this book was how fragile.
1: Like how fragile relationships are and how damaging, like the things that you can do on a daily basis can really just erode the relationship. Like it just chips away at it. And that was kind of the thing I I took away from the book was each and every – those moments, those present moment things that are occurring, it's either – it's like a matter of honor. It's either your honor is either, go, either going up or it's being diminished. And it's almost like everything that you do within the relationship is either moving you forward or taking steps backwards. And I just never knew that it was that dynamic, mm-hmm. you know?
2: Well, the other interesting thing about this is how it approaches relationships, not necessarily from the, this is what guys do. It's this is what women do. It's not really a, a men are from Mars, women are from Venus sort of thing. And not to disparage that book, it, it it never really worked for me, but it worked for a lot of people conceptually to help understand each other. But I am gonna
1: say that book I thought it was horseshit. It really in fact it okay, actually so hurt me in a couple of <laughs> relationships, I think.
2: I was <laughs> trying to be diplomatic and Sorry. and you were just
1: if the if the author's listening, I'm sure he is but i 'm um, <laughs> sure he is i 'm sure Did, not a huge fan of that book but, this book, however,
2: this is it man this i'm sorry its at. so we're break, I think we're breaking the story wide open. This is the book, and and I want to make sure people understand audiobook that will change your perception of relationships, and I think it will help improve them dramatically and it boils down to as Ross alluded to. Our ability to first understand ourselves and understand and look back at how we were raised. Because our primary romantic love relationships have so much to do with how we were parented. Mm -hmm. So, And he
1: says some stuff I think that's really – I thought was very – there's nothing pithy about the – the advice that he gives. There's no like aphorisms and no things. something that I would think of is, uh, he
2: really shoots it straight.
1: Yeah. Like, like something you would hear from somebody is you can't be in a relationship. If you don't first love yourself, that would be like pithy to me, you know, whereas he would be like, that's bullshit. You absolutely can be in a relationship. I know plenty of fucked up people who are in a relationship, and I don't think they have any concept of self. And That's he and str- he said,
2: and I'm pretty sure I'm quoting him verbatim. He said, like, there's no bigger pain in the ass than the person that you're in relationship and with. and you and you. Yeah, yeah.
1: I thought but, I thought it was terrific.
2: But when I when I when I was talking about how uh, how we relate in in primary relationship is a lot has a lot to do with our our parenting. I want to say specifically, and this is a factor, but it's not what I mean, but when you're observing your mother and your father, that's something different than what he's really talking about in the book, which is how your parents and you related. Mm -hmm. So, But I want to get into that, but I guess we we should probably start if we're sort of going through this book chronologically, and I want to do that because I, I have a very good hunch that... It's going to take us two podcasts to really get through just so much great information that's in this book. So I I guess I want to start with chapter five when he sort of drops the bomb that when you're in love, you're not really experiencing an emotion. You're actually suffering from an addiction.
0: You're on drugs.
2: Yes, I think that's, that's what he said. You are on drugs. So... I'm going to go ahead and toss in some addicted to love Robert Palmer here while I talk about (laughs) love addiction. Because I I think I I mentioned very early on in this podcast, Jeff and I talked about love addiction. Okay. But uh, what's interesting about uh, this book is how he talks about when we are in love, we're actually on drugs and we're on endogenous drugs or drugs that we create. Mm -hmm. It's our brain chemistry that we're creating. We're creating oxytocin, testosterone, dopamine, and we like dopamine because dopamine makes us want more of something, right? That's the press the button, get the reward, press the button, get the reward. So we love dopamine. There's also noradrenaline, and that helps us keep our attention. It helps us focus on something or on someone. But what I found really interesting about this is how we actually reduce or you know where everything spikes up we actually have a drop in serotonin Mm -hmm. and serotonin is the drug that the brain provides us to help us calm down and feel anti-anxiety yeah it's anxiety anti-anxiety now when we're in love that drops and that helps us it helps us uh from a bio evolutionary or standpoint to like uh Uh, where are they? I'm thinking about them. I miss them. I need to be near them. Like we get anxious when we're not near them. I didn't get a text
0: back. Oh, my gosh. I didn't get a text back. (laughs) What does this
2: mean? Or I texted her and I'm looking at the phone and not seeing dot, dot, dot.
1: (laughs) Hey, hey, I was just in the shower. I wasn't sure if you called. Uh, (laughs) Call me back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I I hate that. I've I've like actually had to turn that off because like when when you're texting someone and you text them and they receive it and then you see dot, dot, dot. And then it goes on forever, and you're like, "What the fuck is taking
1: you so
0: long?" And then you get a one word answer, and then it's like, <laughs> "Yes."
2: yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, it's funny because that's, a, that's an iPhone uh, thing, by the way. Android uh-huh. doesn't do it. You could turn it. that yes. off.
0: You could turn that off. But I'll say that you know you are waiting, and and the more you have to wait, and you, your serotonin's down, you start analyzing every word you wrote. Everything. <laughs> oh my gosh, did I use that word? Oh no. What is, what is she thinking? Right.
2: Let's so it helps us obsess. Oh, yeah. Helps right? Us
1: obsess. But obsessing feels good. Eh. <laughs> what is, I mean, well, you know, creating the bond, I guess. Exactly. Right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's creating the bond. This is, this is bioengineered ability to procreate. That's what nature wants.
1: And that's what he talks about. He said, which is funny because, you know, there's fight or flight, but they also the big F is on there as well. The big F. The big F. You can't say that on the. You air. know, F space C K.
0: <laughs> so for an asterisk.
1: Yeah, but I mean, when you get when you get adrenalized, you know, which he talks a lot about as well. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get when you get sympathetic in your brain when it goes to that aspect, so I mean, that's a big area that you're going to. So
2: right. So the, the other thing that I found really interesting is, and, and we know this too, we just don't intellectualize it in these fancy words, but alcohol reduces asymmetry perception. And that's our ability to distinguish a face that we find attractive. And that's why when you drink a lot of alcohol, suddenly it's, it's not like your standards get lower. It's just your, your ability to perceive beauty as you perceive it tends to drop and that's exactly what's happening when you fall in love it's sort of it's it's reducing our ability to um, these
1: are things that i count on when the girl drinks <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly
1: my completely asymmetrical phase
2: but you know nature <laughs> it, this is this is all part of evolution nature wants us to procreate so it has created these drugs that we can manufacture in our brain to help us become obsessed and to draw us closer to someone, but nature is in no way concerned with long-term relationships. We c- True. We, we, I mean, we used to. We, Thirty used to be a good ripe age, you know, to live to. Yeah. You know.
1: I mean, when you when you took vows, however, in antiquity, back way back when.
2: You didn't have you're to. You are just
1: like, I will love yeah, you forever and I'll ever. Love that you meant forever. 30. We're going like, to spend 10 years together. That's cool, yeah. Dumb down.
2: We got 10 good years. Like, Sure, I can make that promise.
1: Popping out babies at 13
2: and 14.
1: Now, 70, 60 years later. <laughs> <laughs> so into troubles. That's right, in. because you're
2: in your 60s now. Isn't that right, Jeff?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Just in his mind.
2: <laughs> so yeah, it, uh, nature doesn't care Because we used to die at 30 Now we're living until uh, 80 And so we, when we look at somebody That's like they made it 50 years And you were telling a great story uh, In class this morning I would love it if you shared that again Because you said that you were A, a best man at a wedding And you approached two women that My that, grandmothers Both of your grandmothers Yeah, Thank so
1: you. I was able to get them together Before they passed And uh, So that's about 100 years of Marriage experience between the two of them, and I said, "Well, what are the three? What are some things that I need to tell this couple that's getting married? Their names were Chris and Karen, or there still are Chris and Karen. And uh, what should I tell them?" And my one grandmother said, "Well, I always treated your grandfather like a king. That way, I was always a queen. If I treated him like a joker, or if I treated him like a clown, I would have been married to a clown or a joker. He was a king. That made me a queen." Okay, great. Then I asked my other grandmother and she was like, "Well, you know, you're going to hit bad times. It's going to happen. So what my suggestion is you got to really enjoy the good times because those bad times kids are going to get sick, things are going to happen, you know, hospitalization, sickness, illness, financial problems. So you really got to enjoy the good times and that to me really made our marriage work." And then I looked at him and I was like, "And what's the final most important piece of of uh, advice you'd give me?" And she said, "Well, What are their names, Chris and Karen? And I was like, yeah. She's like, they're going to get into fights. You know, It's going to happen, small, big. And the thing is, is no matter how big or how small those arguments or fights are, shortly after, one of them has to quickly go to the other one and say, I'm sorry, Karen. (laughs) 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 Bought down the house at the wedding, by the way. That's another another theme of
0: uh, your brain on love, actually, is how quickly you can really – take down the walls that you put up when you're in a bad place.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It's how quickly can you come out of that threatening stage?
2: You know, I I also had the opportunity to ask somebody that lived a good long life and had a really long marriage. She was sweet, like probably 75, 80 years old. But I said, please tell me, like, I, I need to know how you managed to make a marriage work for... And it was like closer to 60 years. Mm-hmm. And she looked me dead in the eye, and she was like, "Oh, honey, it's the sex." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, thank you.
1: Mm. I'm not really sure what to do with that info.
2: I'm not sure what to do with that info, but it, it sometimes that feels true. Oh
1: yeah. But the thing I always say, what Ross was alluding to was it, about how you fighting, you know. And I thought that that was a really interesting part of the book where they just said, you have to take care of this quickly. It's so uh, detrimental to the relationship when it's left out there hanging, like what you do to yourself individually in your mind, what it does to the relationship, what it does to trust. I didn't realize like, that those fights are that detrimental.
2: Absolutely. But I, I don't want to jump ahead mm. because we, we definitely want to spend some time on that. But I think that the the one thing that uh, we were all sort of having a laugh about after you had Jeff and I listened to the book was, so what are you? <laughs> so I want to start to break that down because one of the things that Stan Tatkin identifies really, really potently is not like men are from Mars, women are from Venus is he has these three archetypes. Okay, we're going to start with this. There's three basic archetypes, and you develop these archetypes from childhood in how you relate to your parents. And the first is called an island. And an island is... We're all... Ross just pointed to himself. That's that's <laughs> me. And I think you probably can quickly, you know, listeners, assume what an island is. And An island is a person who does really well on their own, and they experience quite easily uh, interpersonal anxiety or stress when around a lot of people. Islands developed because their parents weren't paying a whole lot of attention to them, and they had a lot of time on their own. That definitely describes me. I played a lot on my own. I read. I, I just was a bookworm. I read all the time in my room. I didn't have a lot of friends, and there, there, wasn't, there was nothing wrong with me. Nothing, nobody bullied me. My parents weren't horrible or, or abusive. It's just that they were a little bit standoffish, and I tended to do my own thing. Now, I had two older brothers, but they were five and six years older than me, respectively. So the last thing that you want when you're 12 or 13 is to hang out with a seven-year-old. So my brother's kind of like, go away, you know. sort of got kicked to the curb a lot. So I had to spend a lot of time on my own, and I developed a sort of island personality. I also want to quickly point out before I turn it over to you guys that all three of these archetypes are normal and that none of these are the right way to be or the wrong way to be. It's just three different ways in which we can develop.
1: And these are also exaggerated.
2: And it's a great exaggeration to try Mm -hmm. to illustrate a point. Like I said, it's an archetype. And that you can demonstrate island-like qualities and still be a little bit of something else. So let me put this into other terms that the yoga listener might appreciate. So if we approach it from an Ayurvedic standpoint, there's three dispositions in Ayurveda. You know, there's vata, pitta, and kapha. And those are three just sort of physical predispositions. And you're not necessarily a pitta at the exclusion of kapha or vata. You You're not tendencies. vata. Yeah, they're tendencies. And you can be a combination of things, but you tend to be, if you listen to these, you can kind of go, man, eh, I'm an island. I'm pretty much an island. And that's, that's what, after listening to, I can't remember, chapter 11, I was like, well, I'm an island. So what about you?
1: Interesting answer. I can display island tendencies the women I date are more pronounced islands than I am, and it makes me something of a wave. Holy shit, Jeff. I've known you for
2: a long time, and that really, that really hits the nail on the head. That totally explained a lot of your relationships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Ross?
0: I'm an island, but I will say what's very interesting, and when we're on these drugs, as Stan so eloquently says... We all, everybody, when they're getting into a relationship, displays anchor-like tendencies. Right,
2: and I don't want to give that away yet, but you're absolutely right. That's and right. that's sort of where relationships get screwy, is it's not like we're putting on a mask, but kind of it is. We, we all tend to gravitate, I guess you might say, towards the center, and that's mm-hmm. a little bit more anchor. Okay, So n- neither of you guys listened to this and went... Uh, am I a wave?
0: I heard him start to describe Island, and I just sat there and said, Oh crap. How does he know me? What is going on here? Right. Down to details where he'd say, okay, you know, you're an island. You like to have your partner in the home, but maybe in a different room. Or you don't like when they call out for you, you know, from a far distance because it's what, it, you know, what do I need to do for you or what am I going to owe you? you right. know All this. I'm very lonerish. I, I like my alone time. I like when my partner goes away. Just whatever it is. I was just sitting there saying, wow, am I, you know, he knows me and. So yeah, that I was like instant for you. Like yeah.
2: I was sort of – I started to listen to it and I was like, OK, this could be me, but I'm going to keep listening. And then after he was completely done with that and then he's, he went into the next chapter on waves, which is the second personality I'm going to talk about in a second. I was like, OK, I'm I'm going to see if I'm a wave. no, I'm not a wave. He but described sh- a
1: wave later on like how the waves were responding during like problems and – Based on the women that I've dated, that it it can, it forces my hand. I'm forced into the role of wave. Uh huh. So I I noticed that. And you know, it's funny because they, other books talk about different types of people. Like I've heard it being like, poor me just want to be liked, intimidator. And let's just say you're more like one. And if you try to go the other direction, it makes you anxious because it's not natural to you. So for me, when I get into, I, I thrive when I'm allowed to be island. When I can be island, I thrive in that area. When I am like almost pushed into the area where I have to be the wave, it feels completely foreign to me and horrible.
2: Okay, that's a really good point. But let's make sure that we're also clear is that a healthy relationship isn't where one person is one and one person is another. But like I said, these are just sort of archetypes of tendencies.
1: Well, these, all these relationships have failed.
0: So. Yeah. <laughs> so, Just to put it into context, though, as far as a wave is concerned, you know, I think the way that Stan had described it was an island. You've got a kid who's kind of reaching out and looking for… You know, the parents, again, this does not mean my parents were bad people or anything like that, but reaching out and looking and not really having that face to face, that eye to eye contact, and then playing with, you know, by themselves and doing their own thing and going their own way. A wave, on the other hand, would get it from one parent. They'd get that face to face, but maybe not from the other. And so when that one parent that was close to them and face to face would kind of go away, they'd be left holding their arms out again and waiting for that affirmation that they're used to from the other parent, maybe not get it or just in an empty place until that other one came back. So a wave, you know, the way I look at it as well is, and I've dated plenty of waves, are people that may want to complete, you know, on a consistent basis, reaffirm feelings, look for ways to define different things in the relationship. Um, you know, not want to, would never want to go to bed angry, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I think that the, the well, waves,
1: though, tend to get very reactive. And he said that anger is usually the emotion that comes out the most, I think, with waves. But that they're in a real panic when they're doing yeah, it. Yeah. So you
0: really have to diffuse that. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, let me just make sure I can clarify what you were saying, Ross, because I feel that that was important. Well, actually, I'm going to stop and let me ask you this. Your parents together are divorced?
1: They are
0: together.
2: They are together? Mine too. And yours too? Yeah,
1: 51 years.
2: 51 years married? What about yours? They're 45 years. Okay. See, now, and we're all three islands. We all sort of pegged ourselves as islands. So you've got parents that are married and still together. My parents divorced when I was very young, remarried twice. Okay? So I can clearly see that divorced parents or parents that stay together isn't necessarily the driving force Mm-mm. of that creates waves or creates islands. Like I said, I think mine had more to do with the fact that my parents divorced when I was young. I spent part of the time living with my mother, part of the time living with my father. And what's more important, I think at play than that is the fact that I was a younger, younger brother and my older brothers were just sort of in a different place in life. So we didn't, we didn't play a lot,
1: so mine was in a. I was in a house of women, mm-hmm. two sisters, and it's like I just wanted to be a boy, and and their interests were so far away from what mine were, you know right. what I mean? As far as like theater, drama, stuff like that, and I was just like, I just want to play, and so that's not what their interest was at all. So my hand was forced in terms of like I had to go. Right, you know, play army by myself, and
2: and it's the same thing with a wave. I'm sure a wave can come from a really fully functional, you know, nurturing environment. But he was quick to point out that what is often when he's you know seeing wave-like behavior or waves is that there was one caregiver that was preoccupied, and that the child was put in a position of having to take care of one of their caregivers, Mm -hmm. their, their mother or father. And so, you know, when I sort of look at where I came from and what I sort of identify myself now as, and when I think about this primary love relationship that was, it was the most profound love relationship I've ever had in my life. And we're not together. But I'm an island, she's a wave. And waves, yeah, there is a, I I guess I got to be honest and say it was, it's really emotionally frustrating for me to have really good information, really valuable tools too late. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, if I would have fucking known this, like, because not only does he uh, help you identify with how you relate to others and how you can make island and island match up really well island and wave match up island and anchor match up really well but there's just so many tools later on in the book on how to nurture the relationship and i don't know how much of that comes from the actual book that you can buy which is called wired for love and i have it but i haven't read it yet because i've been uh, this is my third time listening to this audiobook but uh let's let's talk about anchors for a second do you feel like having armed yourself with this knowledge that you're able to be more anchor-like and trying to be more anchor-like, or do you just understand I'm a wave, uh, an island, and I know how to relate to a wave, but it doesn't make me an
0: anchor? That's a great question. I think that, I
2: think it is a great question. Thanks a lot. Fantastic for, question, I appreciate Scott. that. Thank you.
0: I think that I'm actually more in tune with being an island and – You know, what's funny is islands and waves are kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum and anchors kind of in the middle and goes both ways. And when I look at it, when I've dated people or been in relationships and they're a wave, they're on one end. And the more wave-like they become, the more island-like I become because it becomes more uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm finding a way now to say, well, I know they're going to be wave-like. How can I – communicate better to move more toward the middle when I communicate with them and have them move toward the more toward the middle as well versus pull away and just get farther apart.
2: Yeah. I was once given some really good advice that's always been on my mind and it's really simple. And that is that we chase that, which retreats. And that's why Jeff over here, who's, I just, I just want to be an Island. And then I get with an island and then I become a wave because they're more island than me, right? But there's really just sort of this give and take and and I definitely see it. You know, if I were to sort of think about the last year or last attempt I made to to be with, you know, codename Helen, I was definitely becoming wave like. And she was becoming more island like. And it's really interesting to see how these archetypes that he describes so simply and in in uh, audio chapter, in five to ten minutes, you're like, "Oh God damn it!" That's I think when so you go easy. against your, I think <laughs> when you was go so easy,
1: I, it's hard to thrive when you're going against your common tendency, though. I think so. It's like when you're saying that your your common tendency is towards island, and then you're. Thrust into the wave role and same for the code name person you're talking about, it, she probably also made her you know it's like something feels wrong here. it's like we're, we're, it's like the the role is incorrect right you know and I mean, I mean that, that's why we're talking about probably X's but um, you know and then the anchor thing is interesting because I think he talks about how when it starts out, we all kind of show, you know, the mask of our best selves. The best selves is and we all want to come in there as a, as an anchor. But let's like- be
2: careful. We don't, we don't want to leave people with the impression that the anchor is the best self. What he said was, the anchor believes in mutuality. Your happiness is as important as my happiness, and what that's is like the-, the fog of love, though I think that <laughs> no, no, that's no, no, happening. No. He he said <laughs> that the anchor seeks proximity, but isn't clingy.
1: Right, and that's what – so I said to Ross the other day, someone put it to me, is that after three months, the rep goes home. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we all come into like the relationships and we're like, I'm an anchor. I'm mutual, this and that, mutuality I think that you just said, and some other big words, proximity right. <laughs> so, and all this other stuff. And I think that that's great, and I think at the beginning – and I do believe that you feel and think these things, but you are – so and we you don't said, do it
2: consciously, but it's sort no. of like, all right, do, do I gotcha? Oh, do I gotcha? Do I got you're in right? Do I gotcha? Okay, I'm really a, I'm really an island.
1: <laughs> that, that, right. can, but that, that
0: can that can happen, happen. <laughs> like I just said. I'm t- I'm trying to take this the right way and. Not be and become a little bit less island-like and move more toward that middle myself. <laughs> Do you ever see that I'm movie? conscious of it.
1: Yeah, like I was watching Casino the other night, and after I'd read this book, and I'm watching Sharon Stone and Robert De Niro, and they come together and fall in love, and she's one way, and then by the end of the movie, <laughs> she's just <laughs> batshit crazy. And I was like, I think that that's kind of not the woman, but men and yeah. women is – At the beginnings, it's yeah, and you said a mask. I don't want to like your persona is a mask. Your persona is what you choose to share, what you choose to let everybody, the outside world, see about you. So in a way, it's a mask. I'm not saying it's an unhealthy mask. I'm just saying it's a mask. And then I think as the relationship grows, well, you know, the the
0: the things come out. Like, let me ask you a question, Jeff. Do you think that if your partner, whoever you're with, do you want them to read this book? Absolutely, absolutely.
1: I mean, I, I think. I mean, if you're not right for each other, you're not right for each other. But if you got, if you want a shot at working well with each other, this is a good sort of roadmap. And you know what's interesting is, I was with a good friend the other day, and they have a like this really terrific marriage. And my head's on all this stuff because I'm reading the book, getting ready for the podcast, and I go to lunch with them, and I was like, "How do you make it work so well with your wife?" I don't know tons and tons of great relationships. A lot of them are very unconscious, you know, like stuff just happens and they're just reacting to everything that happens. But this one seems like a very aware and awake relationship, you know? And I was like, well, how do you guys do it? And he's like, well, how do you get in shape? And I was like, I go to a trainer. He's like, we have a coach. And I was like, I thought that that was probably one of the most brilliant explanations that I'd heard. He's just like, you think that we're after 11 years, we're doing it on our own. He's like, "That that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. He's like, we need an expert to kind of, show us the directions all the time and, and that's, the, that's part of our work and I thought that that was brilliant. That's this cool. book in many ways yeah. is a coaching session. And
2: you know what, he, you re, do you remember what Stan Hatkins said at one point in the book? He said, as a therapist, and I don't, I'm taking his word for this. He seems like an expert, seems to know what he's talking about. I, I listened to the whole thing almost three times now and I'm just like, okay, I'm buying into what this guy's saying. And he said that most people that are in relationship and that are in therapy separately doesn't work it's over but people that are in relationship and they're in therapy together they that works
1: and i think doing the therapy when things are good is is a really also a really good thing idea. that has to happen because i mean that it's it's probably the most important he even said it it's probably one of the most important things that's happening in your life especially if it goes bad let me tell you everything else becomes very small compared to that and he even said when he the reason he got so into that type of counseling was because of his own divorce. I mean, it, it destroys you. Like, the, mm-hmm. like the human experience is definitely intensified by intimate relationships. You know, so it's that important. Like, I there's virtually everything else. I'm going to go take tennis lessons, but I'm not going to spend my hard earned money on something that's going to affect me in a way that's probably well beyond a round of tennis. That's right. Yeah. So I thought that that was great advice given by one of my friends, but this book. Is a very good,
0: you know, coaching apparatus. It is, and he kind of really focuses on, do you really want to be in a relationship? And it's either yes or no. Mm-hmm. And if you do, you're going to have to work at this. And again, like you said before, the person you're with is going to be the biggest and you know well, pain in the ass in your life.
2: And it's it happens in so many aspects of our lives. It's sort of you look at it and you go, I had to fucking study. And take a driving test before they would let me drive, you know. And it doesn't seem like as as an important of a thing to study and be certified to be able to do as having a child, being in a relationship, and so or it's being the d- president.
1: <laughs> <Or> <laughs> be you the don't president. really have to pass anything to do that.
2: <laughs> no, you don't. But but if you do, do the work. If you study for love the way you studied it to get a if you if you had to pass a test before they would let you be in a relationship with somebody you would fucking do this work and i think like this is the work I hope I meet this guy. I want to shake his hand. I want to.
1: It's all. I think one of the lavish. cool things is how. I want to throw candy at him. He's a heck of a coach. A of a I, coach. I thought that uh, some of the things he points out is like the way that we like to see ourselves in a relationship. We're always pointing that critical eye outwards, you know, and it's like, well, I'm low maintenance. And he's like, you're not low maintenance. You're not. <laughs>
2: there is no such thing. He's as like, low maintenance. you are a yeah.
1: burden. And he's like, and you're a pain in the ass. Like, just get it through your thick skull right now. The only thing that's happening is you and your partner are agreeing to be burdened that's right that's right <laughs> yeah each other yeah that's you know? it.
2: You're, you're agreeing it, I think you said something to the effect of I take you to be my pain in the ass
1: it, I thought that was great uh-huh you know but I just think that uh, relationships in that capacity is, is if it goes wrong there is no there's no greater destruction of your life. Mm -hmm. a relationship more so than just about anything. It can really blow up
0: your life. It can really enhance your life. If you want it and it goes right, then you are rewarded in a way that is unbelievable. I mean, again, like talking about, and this is the term that sticks in my mind so much, and it's something I want, an enviable relationship. Exactly. Mm. It's something that you are so comfortable in it and so... You thrive there. You thrive.
1: And society also views you differently when you're in a successful relationship. Exactly. It's a very... Yeah,
2: see, this This I didn't know, and that sort of speaks to our podcast a, a week or two ago when I talked about, like, is there a social stigma? Like, and, and we we're talking about the invisible... Scientifically, they're invisible actually...
0: Girlfriend. <laughs> he, yeah, he invisible girlfriend. Yeah, Invisible
2: girlfriend, invisible...
0: Did you not hear about this? I was I was <laughs> in your class when you told us about it.
2: Oh, my God. I, I don't want to rehash that. Just go back and listen to the podcast. But, <laughs> but like, like if, if, you're, if you're so desperate to have people convinced that you're in a relationship because there's a social stigma attached to being single. Go on. Oh my god.
1: Anyway, that service has done me wonders. <laughs> <laughs> 24.95 a month. I feel uh, socially much you more accepted right right now. Late at night when you're lonely. So look at this. So far so far
2: I think what the only thing that we're going to get through today uh, other than describing these the sort of basic archetypes is the fact that You can, by understanding the archetype that you are and understanding the archetype of the person that you're in relationship with, you can figure out a much better way to relate to each other. And there's a lot of miles between me and when I read Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. So I'm not sure what the solutions were on how Pithy Mars and the Venus right for that relate book. to each other. Jeff really hated that yeah, book. Yeah, d- d- that, <laughs> one,
1: that <laughs> one messed me up in a relationship. I actually tried to do what it said in a relationship, and I just felt like emasculated half the time. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I didn't like it. But I thought there other – as far as the archetypes, we probably could finish out some of the other significant archetypes that he points out.
2: Well, the, I want to go on to say though that um, – Islands, they tend to, by their very nature, they auto-regulate. And I'm not talking about masturbation, ladies and gentlemen. Auto-regulate means you can self-soothe and that you just do well on your own. When You, you calm down when people go away, right? Mm-hmm. And the wave tends to be very happy when people are around. And it's very difficult for both of these types. It's very difficult for the island to go from being alone to being around people. It's very difficult for the wave to be around people and then be alone because it sort of goes against their nature. But understanding that it, you had said how it feels threatening when you're called from another room. Sure. By name. And he was, I thought that that was really, that's when I was like, oh God, I really, I'm definitely an island. Because when somebody calls you from another room by name, you're like, you're being called upon, right? You're being pulled out of your world. So you actually have an
1: adrenalized know? response. They say to it, like, it, it that's how much we react and identify with our actual. Mate. Right, yeah. but see what's cool
2: is, is that there's just so many tools in this book that says, like, if you're this and your
0: partner's this, this is how you want to. Ask it's them so or speak to them. it's so simple. And I listen to it and I say, if someone would just treat me like that, wow, that's easy. Yeah,
2: so de- I definitely feel like this is like the manual. You want to be in a relationship? You want to pass the test? Mm-hmm. Here's the material. I think it is that good. I'm in love with this book.
1: You know, there, there's a part to it I thought was funny when you were talking about sort of the arguing and fighting part. And he, he'll – kind of stuff these little gems in there here and there. And he did, it's not even a part of it because it's, it's something of a lecture. And he threw in that gem. He's just like when you fight, when you're in a stress situation, the less words, the better. More words will actually worsen the situation. And I thought that that was really great because – Everyone seems to like just want to get their point across. It is not uh-huh. the time to get anything across. It's the time to like, unless it's positive stuff, use as little, little words as possible. I like that. And he
2: also described a, a relationship of an island and a wave that are trying to talk and sort through a difficult situation. And for the island, it's like… We don't know what to say because we don't even know what we're thinking. And there's shame involved. And we we literally have to go away and think about it. In fact, it's very common for an island to say, like, I need to think about it. And it's very common for a wave to – they think out loud. They literally talk and figure things out by talking. And, like, this just described, like, so many, you know, failed relationships. I think one of the other important – points that he made was how, I think he said something to the effect of, if you could exhume all of the dead relationships do an autopsy and you would discover that somebody did not have two feet in one person was sort of in the other Mm. person was in that describes commitment this important relationship this in my life it i think it explains a lot of relationships you've got to be two feet in you've got to commit and he talked a lot about and i think we're definitely gonna have to talk about this uh, next week he talked about fidelity And not just in terms of monogamy and being faithful, you know, uh, in a sexual way to your partner, but being faithful to them in all of these other ways.
1: Like Richard. in camaraderie, he uses fidelity in terms of like you know semper fi or things like that. As far as Marines or as police, forces. having each other. That's back. how like strong the connection is. And yeah.
2: and you know how weird it got for me was like I'm I'm going through this book like three times while I'm doing it. I'm also obsessively watching House of Cards for the first time <laughs> in my life, and I'm looking at Frank and Claire Underwood, and I'm like they are the model of you know fidelity, even though. They cheat on each other, but they know it. But like they come home to each other, they are in it. And -hmm. there is never, ever a threat. He said most relationships, they run into trouble and they end and they die because there is the threat. Well, then the threat and then then he calls it
1: after that. Then it becomes the viewpoint. Again, this is very emotional stuff. This isn't like you understand what's happening, but your body, he said, is built for war. Sorry, your psyche is built for war. Mm-hmm. And he's always saying that. And he's like we're constantly like scanning the horizon looking for threat. And then obviously like in relationships when that threat starts becoming more pronounced, then it turns into predator. Like he said, they takes two yeah. divorced people, puts them in the room, and their heartbeats go like through the roof. Right. So- but I'd, I'd love to
2: get him into a room, and the, one of the first things I'd ask him is – do they have a healthy relationship on House of Cards cuz it looks <laughs> to be the model of what, you know, you're describing. But what I think gonna say, well, I was going
0: to say you you said something that really just hit my head which was you know, people having one foot in and one foot out, and it's really interesting because I said earlier I, I start relationships, and everyone puts their best version of themselves or their most stable version of themselves, their anchor self forward. Even if you're away, their, even if you're, their an Facebook island, you're a Facebook profile, your Facebook exactly, your dating yeah. profile. There's nothing wrong with that, um, but you're putting that forward. And Living happens, the life as an island, I end up putting it all out there, and I lay it on thick. And I want to be in love, and I'm addicted to these drugs, <coughs> and it happens. And two months later, the drugs start to wear off and I'm like, how did I get here? Right. Oh my gosh. And if in a candid conversation, someone could look at my face and be like, uh, you wanted this. And I could say, well, I don't know how I got here. And suddenly now I start to retreat as the island mm-hmm. and I take one foot out of that circle and I'm not a hundred percent sure anymore because the drugs are and, gone. And they know this. They know The it. partner sees it now, now all of a sudden
1: hair is going off on the back of the neck Threat is starting to go up. And then they try harder.
0: Yeah. Then mm-hmm. they, they start to grasp and they say, Wait more a second. Let me, I gotta, I, I'm going to become more wave-like. I'm going to try even harder and I'm going to hold on and pull because you're starting to pull away and I'm threatened. And what do you do when, when you're threatened? You work harder.
2: Right. And and that's really, I, I think, the hub on which just about everything else turns that he's talking about on how you relate based on whether you're an anchor, an island, or a wave – How you relate to each other uh, is going to determine uh, whether or not someone is perceiving threat. He uses that term all the time. Mm -hmm. Everything can be threatening. And when you learn how to relate to someone who's not like you in a non-threatening way, it just like problems tend to vanish.
1: Well, that's how your, your amygdala operates. I have like a little yappy dog. Right. Mm -hmm. And you come up to the door and it's the amygdala. It is barking like crazy, threat, 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 threat. Yet it's Ross at the door who's my friend. You know, and that's how the amygdala is working. It's this bundle of nerve fibers that's sitting there like we gotta protect. And that does and that's on automatic. It's not something that you can control necessarily. And it's just sitting there. So when this perceived threat start taking place, it's also a felt sensation. You don't necessarily get over it that quickly. You know what I mean? It's like you start remembering those emotions. as all of a sudden traces. The traces become thicker. And if that person becomes threatening enough, especially to the point where, say, people, every time there's a fight, is there's the threat of leaving. He said that that's probably the most detrimental thing that can happen in a relationship is where you start letting the person know that there's the possibility of abandonment. Yes. That right there, you're, you're talking – now what you're going to start developing is contempt, and contempt is the kiss of death
2: yeah so if there is the threat that the relationship will end, that's pretty much
0: the nail the nails and that, that could just be criticism, you know it could be harsh, it could be just you know saying the wrong things and not correcting them
2: yeah, but yeah, like like you said is. and and we're definitely going to get to this because we're out of time, but um the tools are extremely simple. I listened to it once, and like I said, I've almost listened to it three times. I listened to it once and I was like, I could do this. Like this explains so much of what goes wrong. You thought this is
0: easy. uh
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Here's the problem though and what's not easy is let's just say now you're in a relationship and you start learning all these things. And he says that about when you're with a person who's just not putting in that same same sort of uh,
0: work. Yeah, but don't you recognize it now? You don't want to be with someone that's not. Going that's, to the that's exactly. He's like, that's what did he. What he has a couple of lines about that, right? I, said, I forget what the lines are, but I said to someone I'm kind of hanging out with now. I said, if I said that there was a book that you could read and you could better. Understand- I, I guess that was what I was going to ask
2: you. Like, at what point is it appropriate when in the I dating to it. go like, um. If this is going to continue,
0: you need
1: to listen to this. <laughs> she but said, yes, I, absolutely. Get, get back so to like, me oh, when, right. you, when you're done. That makes sense. Because so I've had people business mentor me and they've said, sure. okay, if you want – like the first mentor I had in business said, here's the E-Myth Revisited. Read that. When you're done with it, we're going to have a conversation and I'm excited to work with you, not until you finish this. Yeah. You know, if you're thinking about – Nothing different about it. And and uh, I was talking with someone today who's having a relationship problem, and the the first thing I mean, I don't even have to talk to you. I was like, all I'm going to be doing is regurgitating what this guy says. <laughs> he's going to say it better than me. Go get the audio book and listen to what he's got to say. He's going to put it in better words than I can do. I'm mm-hmm. going to be like a poor sort of uh, you know repeating what he says. but The not only as risk well. of
0: that is if the person that you're talking to that you, re- you give that audio book to says, I'm just not ready to have a relationship. <laughs> That's right?
2: true. So I guess you got to ask two questions. Like, uh, hi, I'm Scott. Can I buy you a drink? Um, are you interested in relationship? And two, uh, here's a that, here's Scott. a here's a cassette.
1: I made you a mixtape.
2: I made you a mixtape. This is five hours long. Could you listen to this? <laughs> Imagine
1: so, you gave that as your mixtape. That was. If she called again, that'd be something. That would be something. So what we're
2: gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna sort of table the rest of this because there's so much good. Uh, material left and we have not even really blown people's minds with the other archetypes. And we're, we're going to talk n- uh, next time on the podcast about airplanes and submarines and tortoise and hares, separations
0: and reunions,
2: separations and reunions, lots and lots of good stuff. So this is going to be a two parter because this is such good stuff. We are talking about your brain on love. And that was a, a really fun talk guys so let's let's do this again next week what do you say i'm in all right this is scott anderson from warrior academy jeff suskin ross cohen have a great day everybody